Over two-thirds of men and more than half of women in Canada are overweight or obese. The prevalence of obesity in Canadian adults has almost doubled in the last 30 years. These numbers are astounding and cannot be ignored. I'm Dr. Diane Kelsall, Deputy Editor at CMAJ. Today we're talking with Dr. Paula Brower, Head of the Adult Obesity Working Group at the Canadian Task Force on Preventive Health Care. The Task Force is an independent panel of clinicians and methodologists that makes recommendations for preventive health care. CMAJ recently published the Canadian Task Force Guidelines for the Prevention and Management of Overweight and Obesity in Adults. Welcome, Dr. Brower. Thank you for joining me today to talk about the task force guidelines. The guidelines are intended to be used by primary care clinicians for their adult patients. On TV, we see a plethora of shows looking at patients who fall into the severely obese classification with weights close to 600 pounds and BMIs well over 40. Does this guideline apply to them? The guideline is only intended for people with a BMI of less than 40. What we said in the guideline was that people with a BMI over 40 usually would benefit from specialized obesity programs. Other groups would be pregnant people, people for whom weight loss is contraindicated because of other health conditions, people with eating disorders. So yes, there are other groups that would be excluded. Well, let's talk about prevention first. About two-thirds of overweight or obese adults had a normal weight when they were teens, and many gain weight slowly over the years, maybe a pound or two every couple of years. So prevention is important. When you started to look into the literature on prevention, it was a bit challenging. What gaps did you find in the evidence? It's interesting. With prevention, we really thought that we would find more evidence Other guidelines have not really tackled prevention. So we thought, well, since most people are entering adulthood in the normal weight range, there should be evidence out there. So we were rather surprised to find out of the 26 studies, only one had actually been done where the group was exclusively normal weight and the goal was weight gain prevention. The rest of the studies were in what we call mixed weight populations. In other words, they had some people that were already overweight were in those studies. Now, all of those studies were on weight gain prevention, though. So we decided to use that evidence when we made our recommendation. So on the basis of the literature that you did find, what what did the task force recommend? The task force made a weak recommendation against offering formal structured programs. And the reason the recommendation is uh, framed that way is because there was only the one study in normal weight people. And so there's still some question about what is the best way to do prevention of weight gain in early adulthood. So if I have a patient who's maybe put on a couple of pounds and comes to me and says, look, they're worried about gaining more weight, should I say, you know, there's no point or, or what should I do? So I think physicians need to go back to to what they would typically do. We don't have formal algorithms or calculators. We can't tell whether that person is going to go on to develop diabetes in middle age, but we do have some clues. So if they come from a family with a strong family history of diabetes, we know that's a strong risk factor. If they're continuing to gain weight, if they're starting to show some signs of metabolic problems, higher blood pressure, etc., then they may be good candidates for advice, which is why it's a weak against. Weak against or weak for recommendations imply that physicians 
are having the conversation with patients and helping them develop a strategy according to their, to their values and preferences. So let's move to the management of overweight and obesity. Now, you found more literature to support recommendations in this area, and you make a strong recommendation to refer a certain group of patients to structured behavioral interventions aimed at weight loss. Who is in this group? So this is the group at high risk of diabetes. And since the last time, 1999, when they did treatment recommendations, there's been a lot of evidence in multiple studies that show that we can actually prevent diabetes in a proportion of those people at high risk. And to determine high risk, we previously had put out the diabetes screening guidelines and which you can use a can risk or a fin risk tool and that gives you an idea of a person's risk without having to do a blood test. So we're really looking, that high risk group has got a one in three chance of developing diabetes in the next 10 years. Now, what about those overweight or obese patients who are not at high risk of diabetes? What should I be telling them? It's a weak recommendation for, and so for uh, structured programs. So I think you really have to look at a person's values, preferences, their experience with weight. Since much of weight loss has been done outside of the healthcare system, a physician and a patient really need to look at the weight and health issues. And, you know, it may not be weight loss per se. It may be promotion of physical fitness. It may be other kinds of interventions. So most of the structured uh, interventions that we're talking about, it's not, you know, numbers on a scale. It's really what's going to, to help the person enjoy the best health possible. Now, where do medications such as metformin or Orlistat come into this picture? Metformin or Lestat are the currently ones that are currently available in Canada, and it was a weak, weak recommendation against those particular medications. They do cause some additional modest weight loss, about two or three kilos, but they also have gastrointestinal side effects. For some patients, it makes sense. So still, the physician needs to have that conversation with the patient. Now, if patients embark on a weight loss program, how much weight can they reasonably expect to lose? The average weight loss is about three kilos. And so I think that's a number that is important to stress with patients, particularly patients that have very unrealistic ideas about what they're going to achieve with weight loss. Does this amount actually make a difference? For some patients, yes, it would make a difference in terms of their they're having metabolic risk. So uh, three kilo weight loss in person at high risk of diabetes does have some health benefits. For other people, perhaps it doesn't necessarily have uh, huge benefits. And the other thing about it is, of course, weight loss is highly variable. So there are many people that don't lose any weight, and then there are uh, a subgroup who can lose more weight. So I guess what we're trying to get at is Uh, looking at the health benefits of modest weight loss rather than the numbers on the scale. Now, are there any resources to help clinicians apply these guidelines? Yes, there's actually uh, quite a number of different resources out there. Um, We didn't go into great detail on them. For example, the Heart and Stroke Association, the Diabetes Association, all the public health units, there are many resources. Uh, I think part of the, the challenge for family doctors is figuring out what their local resources are 
their local programs and which ones are going to be credible, have a strong health focus and not have a focus on extreme weight loss. So thank you, Dr. Brower, for joining me today to talk about these guidelines and overweight and obesity in adults. Okay, thanks very much for having me. We've been talking to Dr. Paula Brower from the Canadian Task Force on Preventive Health Care. Dr. Brower heads the Adult Obesity Working Group. To read the complete recommendations, visit cmaj.ca. As well, watch for the Childhood Obesity Guidelines and Podcasts on cmaj.ca.